Imagine if life had background music. Thinking about turn on the TV and you put on closed captioning, it lets you know what kind of music is happening. So it'll say ambient music or scary music or whatever. It's kind of a fun thing to do. And you know whether you're supposed to be scared or if it's love music, you know that there's two people in a field and they're running and you see that it's love music and you know that, they, hey, that they're, they're going to end up together. And so you know what should be happening. And so I'm going to write a book like that one time. It's just called, you know, if life only had background music, you would know what's about to happen in life. And interestingly enough, actually God's done that for us. Think about it. With the Holy Spirit, we have warning signs. We have stuff with inside of us that God speaks to us and lets us know what's going to be happening. But thinking about this idea of closed captioning and, and different music and stuff, uh, we had a friend uh, not too long ago that said her kids love to clean the house. We were like, what's your, what's your magic sauce that your kids love to clean the house? And she said, I just put on music. And, I mean, everything, you put music on and everything becomes more fun. And uh, I don't know if that really is true or not, but all of us at some level in some way have a playlist that we have. Some of you have a playlist when you go work out. You have certain music that you just kind of pop in and you kind of get you going or whatever. Or maybe before, uh, when you were, you were younger and you were playing sports, you had something that you'd put on and you'd listen to kind of get you hyped up for whatever you wanted to be. Or some of you, when you're driving, if you have a long drive, you have certain music you like to listen to. And, you know, you throw on all the John Denver, you know, country road songs and different stuff. And um, some of you, you have specific songs that you have um, attached to for worship for whatever reasons. And so whenever you have a personal time for worship, you're like, I want these songs on this playlist because it just takes you back to that moment. Maybe some of you, you have songs that you just kind of put in your earbuds and you have songs that just allow you to rest. And it just, even maybe before you go to sleep, you just listen to certain types of music and it just lets the anxieties wash over you. But all of us have some type of playlist in our life and songs and things that were going on inside of us as life happens. And interestingly, interestingly, in Psalms, the book of Psalms, those are different playlists that David and other artists wrote through different experiences of their life. And they wrote psalms of worship. They wrote psalms of victory. They wrote songs of hope. They wrote songs of desperation. They wrote songs of um, sorrow and lament. And so all throughout psalms, there's several different types of songs that they're singing. And they're using those to express their emotions and express their relationship with God. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to dig into those psalms and, and think about what are some of the ways that we have playlists and we can join along with those like David and sing some of the songs of worship and of lament together. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 63. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to show up on the screen or maybe some of you have these newfangled things called iPhones or smartphones and you can use version and look at it there. But there's different ways. And this morning we're going to be looking at a psalm of worship and what it looks like for us as people to be worshipers. So Psalm chapter 63 says this, a psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Now that's actually kind of the the precursor to the verses. And we'll talk a little bit more about why that's there, but that's an important thing. It kind of sets the mood for why David wrote this song. It's a part of his playlist. Verse 1, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water, I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. 
I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lay awake thinking of you, meditating on you throughout the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down to the depths of the earth, and they will die by the sword. They will become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God, and will, who will swear the truth will tell praise. And who swear to tell the truth will praise them, while liars will be silenced. So the first thing that I want you to get from this psalm is that worship is a choice. If you even look at that little prescriber before verse 1, it tells us a little bit about what's happening in David's life. David is in a place of wilderness, or literally in the desert. And the reason that he is in the desert is because his son Absalom is chasing after him. And so he moves from castle to cave, and there's just a few people around him, some bodyguards and David, and they are running away from his son so that he can save his life. And so I don't know about you, but there are times in our lives where we are in the desert, or we are around in the wilderness, and, sorry, that thumping of those kids just caught me totally off guard. Sorry, online audience, there's a whole bunch of kids running around here and all that. So worship is a choice, okay? And so the reason we're talking about worship is a choice is because here David is in the desert, he's in the wilderness, and he's running from his son. But here's what I want you to get from this, is our life circumstances should not equal our response, okay? Life circumstances should not equal our response. As followers of Christ, our lives can be crumbling down around us, We can be in the desert. We can be chased by our kids. We can be everything that the world would say, hey, your life is falling apart. But for us as followers of Jesus, those life circumstances should not equal our response. Because for us, worship is a choice. What season are you in? Are you in a season of the wilderness? Are you in a season of the desert? Are you in a season where you're alone? Are you seasoned where it feels like all of your enemies or even your close friends are chasing after you and, and want something from you and you're trying to get away? What season are you in? As followers of Jesus, it doesn't matter what life circumstances are given to us. We are to pause and to worship in that moment. Worship is a choice. The second thing that I want you to get is this, is that worship, true authentic worship, quenches our spiritual thirst. Look at verse 1. Talks about this idea of I thirst for you and it is quenching my thirst. And this idea in this passage, there's a word there called soul. And that soul word is nefesh. And the root meaning of that is literally our throat. So think of this, is that our soul is quenched by everything that, that passes through our throat, everything that we take in. So food, water, the air we breathe, and that whenever we're thirsty, we long to fulfill that thirst with what? Something to drink, right? When you need air, what are you doing? Whenever you don't have air and you're, you're motivated to catch more air. If you've ever had the wind knocked out of you and you're kind of like, and it's a scary feeling, you're like, you want to catch a breath. If you've ever been truly thirsty, you long to have something that you can drink that will satisfy. And I hope you've ever been to that place where you, you're so thirsty and you think, hey, I'm going to get something and you drink curdled milk or something and it's nasty and you want to spew it out or you get something that's hot and it's not satisfying. Here, this is what the word is talking about. 
is that when I am in the wilderness, when I'm in a dry place and I thirst for you, my soul literally longs for you. It's a motivation for us that you are motivated to be fulfilled by air. You're motivated to have something to drink. You're motivated because you need some food and it motivates you and it quenches the thirst that truly satisfies. And that the only thing that satisfies our spiritual thirst is God himself. But here's the interesting thing is that we have a tendency to be motivated to pursue other things to fulfill that thirst. So how do we do that? We look for satisfaction. We want to be satisfied, and so we look for different ways to be satisfied. You look at your checking account. You look at your Facebook account. You look at different things, and you think, what is going to bring satisfaction to me? You buy a new vehicle, or you buy a new house, or you buy some new clothes, and you're doing something because you're trying to fill this void, the world's trinkets, to feel that you can be satisfied in that moment. And if you've done it, the longer we live, the more we do it, the more opportunities we've had to do it. And we try to do something that will bring satisfaction to us, and immediately we realize that it doesn't fulfill us. It's a world's trinket, and it never fully satisfies. Another way that we try to fulfill that thirst that motivates us is that we pursue security, that you want something to feel like that the ground that I live on is solid ground. And so you You're always looking for more money. You're always looking for more things that whatever it is for you that provides security. And so you're motivated by it and you're looking for it. Another thing that we thirst for is the significance that you think, hey, that I need to be raised up so that when people look at me that I'm a person of significance. And so we see this obviously quite a bit in social media where people raise themselves up and and show their filtered life of who they are so that they will be a person of significance. So they can get enough likes and enough followers and enough friends And therefore, their significance to themselves is raised up. But one of the things we know is as we pursue those things, those are little trinkets that never fully satisfy, and that the only thing that satisfies us fully is the person of Jesus Christ. That in that moment when we are longing for something deep within our soul, that the only thing that satisfies is Jesus himself. Think about David. David has moved from castle to cave. Do you think that that's what he dreamed about? That here's the king, the wealthiest person in the world at the time, and he is running from his own son and has moved from a castle to a cave. Uh, The situation that you're currently in, is it the situation that you've dreamed of? Maybe not. Probably not. Where do you thirst? What is the motivation for what you're looking for come from? Is it your soul's desire to have your thirst quenched on a deep level? Or are you seeking after these other trinkets that quickly fade away? True worship quenches our thirst. Think about it this way. Check your checkbook. If you look at your checkbook and begin to look at where your money goes, sometimes you can say, okay, I can see where I'm seeking satisfaction. I can see where I'm seeking security. I can see where I'm seeking significance. Some of you, your grandparents, and so you can quickly see in your checkbook that, hey, a lot of my money now goes to my grandkids, or, and you're pursuing those different things. And those are good things. But what are the things that we look for to quench our thirst? Some of you look at your calendars. You can see how we fill up our time. Sometimes we find significance in a full calendar, that we continually are adding things to our calendar because if we have enough things in our calendar, that gives us significance. Because then when someone says, how are you doing, you can say, I'm busy. And that's where you find value and significance. That's where you find security. That's where you find worth. So you can find it in your checkbook. You can find it in your calendar. And you can find it in your social media accounts where you just kind of set yourself up. But all of those things little earthly trinkets that may, for a little bit, bring you satisfaction and security and significance, but quickly fade away. 
Think of it like this. What if we found our security and our significance and our worth in Jesus Christ? That that is the thing that fully satisfies and quenches our thirst. The third thing I want you to get this morning is that worship reminds us of God's character. We talked a little bit about this this week, that in the midst of life circumstances, that we can be reminded of that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And so even if life circumstances are difficult, we can focus on who God is in those moments in, in adoration and begin to think about how God is good, God is king, and all the different words and names of who God is and his character. And that allows us to focus on him and who he is and not our circumstances. One of the things as a student pastor that would sometimes parents would come to me and say, hey, this group is cliquish. And it was generally after a camp or a mission trip or some weekend experience that students would have together. And what would happen is these students would have, and even adults, would have this great experience with God and with one another. And so whenever they got together the next Sunday or the next Wednesday, what are they doing? They're sharing the stories of what God has done in their life and the encounters that they've had. And they're excited about those different things. And, and so the kids that weren't there, they didn't have those stories. They didn't have those experiences. So, so they missed out. And so, yes, it felt clickish in that moment. And what I would tell parents is, listen, I cannot insert your kids into the photo that they chose not to be a part of. So if these kids went to camp or these kids went to a mission trip and had an experience and encounter with God, they're just telling the story of what God's done in their life. And actually what's happening is they're inviting your child in to go next time, to experience what they've experienced with them. And so this idea of in those moments, these students and these adults, their thirst was quenched and they could do nothing else but to tell the story of how that thirst was quenched. And others are like, I want that. But in our humanity, we begin to say, oh, they're, they're pushing us out when in reality they're inviting you into something. And for us, what does it look like for us is that when we have an encounter with God and our, th- our thirst is quenched and we begin to tell the story, people say, I want That Because our neighbors are thirsty, our neighbors are hungry, our neighbors are out of breath, and they want us to share the stories. They want to be a part of the picture that you're in. And the only way that that can happen is in those moments of when you're in the cave, those moments when you're in the wilderness, to go back to those moments and remember that God was good. That God hasn't left you, that God has encountered you. That in the deepest, darkest places of life, that God has encountered you. And wants to be with you. Maybe this is a way for you to think about it. Maybe in the old days, we used to, in PE, we used to do this presidential physical fitness thing. Some of you even got the little deal. You got the little presidential seal and the fake ribbons and all that different stuff. And then there were other kids who didn't get those and they feared that day, right? So the, maybe a lot of times the people that were passing the PE test were not passing algebra. The kids that were passing algebra, they were worried about the PE test, okay? And so the kids that are worried about the PE test, one of the things that I saw over and over and over again that most kids were afraid of is that bar that you would have to jump to and you would have to hold on to. And that so many people could not do that. They could not do it. It wasn't mean that it just they didn't have the strength to do it. As a matter of fact, that's why they put padding under it because some kid jumped and fell and broke their leg, right? And so think of it this way is that God has wants us to jump. And to jump onto that bar and to know that, look, we can jump and go and he's going to hold us and he's going to grab it and he's not going to let us fall. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that David proclaims here is he's reminded of the fact that, God, in my deepest, darkest places, I know that I can jump onto the bar and that you will hold me up and you will not let me go. 
that should be confidence for us is that we can jump without fear. As a matter of fact, it's not even our strength or our power that holds us up. It's totally his strength and his power. And that we could even let go of the bar and say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. And he still holds us to the bar. And it looks like we're still doing the work. That it's not even our faith, it's his faith that holds us to the bar and holds us up. To remember what God is doing in your life. That those moments that he's answered prayers, yes. Maybe he's answered prayer, no. Maybe he's answered prayer, maybe. Those moments where you've found a victory in your life, where maybe you had an addiction or you had something in your life that you knew that you needed to get away from that wasn't life-giving to you, and he gave you victory. Those are those moments where you've jumped to the bar and said, God, I can't do this in my own strength, in my own power, in my own wisdom, and I need you and you alone. And so you jumped and you grabbed a hold and he held you there. And you could claim victory with him and know that it was in his strength and his power that you're held there. And to know that you don't even need the padding underneath because he's not going to let you drop. If you just hold him in that place. To remember what God has done. Worship reminds us of God's character. And then finally, worship ousts our anxiety. Some of you have been anxious this week. I don't know what you've been anxious about. But I've heard that you've been anxious. Some of you were anxious on Monday. Some of you were anxious on Tuesday. Some of you are anxious on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Some of you are even anxious yesterday. Some of you today, I've heard y'all talking about your anxiety throughout the week, and now you're anxious about next week about what's going to happen. I don't know what you're anxious about, but I know that you're anxious. And so we all have anxiety at different times. Some of you are you're anxious about your kids, that your kids, whatever, that their kids' future, what they're going to be doing, or what they may not have a future if they don't pass seventh grade, or whatever it may be that you're thinking about. You have anxiety over that. Some of you have anxiety over your own health or the health of other people. Some of you have anxiety over the future, whether it's your future or the future of the nation or the future of whatever. You just, some of you, you just, that's your spiritual gift is being anxious about anxiety. And that's just what you do. What is keeping you up? I know for some of you, I know what kept you up this week. But what keeps you up? What is it that wakes you up at 2 a.m. in the morning and you think about it and you begin to have these anxious thoughts? True worship ousts the anxiety in our life. The reasons that we have anxiety in our life is because we believe that we have some control and we really don't. Now, some of you voted one way or you voted another way and you thought you have control and you realize, I really don't have any control. Yes, your vote counted, but God's vote's the only one that counts. And that God's not surprised by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's not surprised by all of it. As a matter of fact, he's appointed and he knows about it. And he's okay with it. What he's more concerned, and he's more concerned about your reaction and your response and your anxiety to it. That you don't trust that he's God and that you're surprised. Whether you lived in America or you lived in Zimbabwe, whatever, God is in control and he's not confined by the boundaries of the United States. Do you know that people around the world are worshiping today that are not in the United States? And they're anxious about other things. Some of them are even anxious about some of the same things that you're worried about because of this week. But God is still on his throne and his throne is not defined by the boundaries of the United States or even North America. We may wake up, not us, but somebody may wake up in 300 years in the United States that's not even the United States anymore, and God will still be on his throne. So just 
jump to the bar and trust that he's got you. David even says, my soul longs for you and clings to you and you hold me up. One of the things, one of the reasons I believe that God moves us from our castles to our caves is because it strips us of all the things that give us significance. All the things that give us security. All those things that we think bring worth and value to our life that he strips us from those things so that we can maybe adore him for the first time in a long time instead of adoring ourselves. That maybe we can truly worship him for who he is and that realize that, God, I do not have control. You totally have control. And so we have to leap and grab onto the bar and let him hold onto us. And it's in those moments in the cave where everything else is stripped away that the lies begin to prop up. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not smart enough. All the different things that are inside of you that the deceiver has told you that you've bought, the lies that you've bought into and you hold on to, that it's in those places where you're stripped away that those things prop up. But it's also the place that the truth can begin to get in and God can say, I'm a healer. God can say, hey, I am your right hand. God can say, hey, I am the great I am. I am, and he begins to just tell you truth after truth after truth because the lies pop up and like great fertilizer, the truth begins to, to begin to weed those things out and it begins, the truth begins to marinate in your soul and so that in those cave moments when you have nothing else but God that you can lean in and he can tell you and remind you of the fact that I am worthy of worship and your life circumstances should not determine your response to who I am. That the I am that is in the cave with you is also in the castle. The problem is we have too many trinkets in the castle that we forget that he's the I am. That we begin to think that we're God and that we have control. Allow God's truth to sink in. Worship, true, authentic worship, oust the anxiety of our soul. And in those moments when you're in the cave, Maybe, just maybe, you can remember that God cares for you. As Second Peter tells us, that you can cast your cares upon me because I am God and I care about you and I receive them. True worship outs our anxiety. One last thing I want to share with you this morning is, hey, there's, we raise our hands. You've seen people, if you've been around here, some people, if you're Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or something like that, maybe you haven't been in a situation where people are raising their hands in worship and you're like, what in the world is happening? And so I want to just kind of put you at ease. Some of you go to football games and when somebody scores a touchdown, what do you do? Woo! With unabashed enthusiasm, you're like, yes, we scored a touchdown. Sometimes you're surprised. So you're like, woohoo, we finally scored, you know, whatever it is. And so you're like, yes, whenever someone wins, you're like, yes. The same is true here is that our posture talks about our worship. And so this morning, as you think about it, as you see people every once in a while raising their hands, it's one, a symbol of victory, and it's also a symbol of surrender. Whenever you've been taken captive, what do they say? They tell you, put your hands up, you surrender. So this morning, as you think about hands up and hands raised, these are two symbols that even for us as followers of Jesus, the way that we have victory is because we've had to surrender first. And when we surrender, we find victory. Because, again, it's not in our own strength and it's not in our own wisdom. It's not even in our own faith. We just jump for the bar to hopefully hold on. And God says, I will cling to you and I will hold you up 
And in that moment, you will have confidence that I am God and I am strong enough and can hold you up. True worship. Else anxiety. True worship has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has everything to do with who God is in the cave as he is in the castle. Let's pray together. Father God, we admit that we try to quench our thirst for significance and security and worth and value in so many other places other than you. And that we do not find satisfaction in those other things like we find satisfaction in you. Father, I pray that today, this week, that we would be motivated by that our souls would thirst for you and we would be motivated by that, Father, that we would search and spend time before you so that you could fill us up with your water that quenches our thirst, with the food that quenches our hunger, with the breath that gives us fullness of lungs, to be able to sing your praises, to be able to tell your story. Father, I pray for some of us that maybe we're in a cave, in a desert, in a wilderness right now in our own seasons of life, I pray that we would find even the motivation to worship you. And that in that, that we would begin to see that you are God, that you love us, you haven't changed, your location hasn't changed from castle to cave, ours have, and you are with us in both places. That Father, that maybe, just maybe, the reason we're in the cave, that we need to be in the cave, so we can focus on you. Father, may our playlist this week May it be one of worship. May it be one of proclaiming who you are and telling the story of how you've impacted our life. It's in your son's name that we pray.